0: to see me halfway home didn't you only once <laughs> so she's never forgotten it. all these 60 odd years <laughs>
1: Halfway Home, a family history podcast about a wonderful pair of people, Ivy and Arthur. Have you ever sat and listened to your grandparents' stories and thought to yourself, I wish I'd been recording this? You're not alone. But I went one step further. I actually recorded it. Over the course of 10 episodes, you will hear about how Ivy and Arthur grew up, met, started a family, and lived both apart and then together. To date, they have been married for 64 years. This is episode 1. An Uncomplicated Life, 1932-1939. to 1939. Ivy was born in South West London in December of 1932. She describes the area she was born in as a typical working class area, with lots of industry around. The small family, which at the time consisted of her parents, her brother, who was born in 1936, and herself, lived in a dwelling, a sort of small block of flats. Ivy's mother stayed home while her father worked in decorating with his father. Her father and grandfather had a wonderful working relationship. In fact, the whole family had moved from Suffolk to London to work before Ivy was born. In August of the same year, 1932, Arthur had been born. As a child, Arthur lived just off Brixham Market, above the shop his family ran. Owned by his paternal grandmother, the off-licence was run by his father. The shop isn't there anymore. It's now the site of Brixton Leisure Centre. Arthur's mother was, as Ivy's was, a housewife, but she did do a bit of outside work as a dressmaker, which she was very skilled at. Arthur was the youngest of two siblings. His sister was six years older than him, but incredibly, their birthdays were only one day apart. (laughs) Ivy describes her life up to the war as very happy. She had no worries, a loving family, grandparents and lots of cousins. Although Ivy has no memories of actually being in a classroom, she does remember that her school, Marchmont School, had a big open fire and they had a big huge brass fire guard and they used to put milk bottles there to warm the milk. Ivy's earliest memory recounts a time when she was in hospital. She had contracted measles, and at the time, there were no antibiotics or any way to stop it, so she became very sick. She was taken to hospital and put in an isolation ward. No one was allowed to visit, but her mother did come and see her. She came up to the glass door and she looked through the glass and she was tapping on the glass and waving to me. and blew her kisses. Luckily, Ivy recovered but the measles did affect her eyesight and she was sent to an eye hospital in Chelsea to practice eye exercises, such as putting carrots in rabbits' mouths. (music) Just like Ivy, Arthur was very happy during the first seven years of his life. He had a very large family. His mother was from a family of 10 and his father from a family of seven. So Arthur had a myriad of cousins who were both his family and his friends. Arthur's first memory took place at a street party for the coronation of George VI when Arthur was four years old. The party was on the street right outside his dad's shop in Clapham.
0: They lined all us toddlers up for a race and they had a string across the road as the finishing line and I was running and winning but I had this cardboard hat was like an old-fashioned toy soldier's hat being cardboard with a peak and I was quite proud of it. And I got a couple of yards away from the winning line and my hat blew off and I turned round, stopped to pick it up and lost the race.
1: Although Ivy doesn't remember the coronation of George VI, she does remember a time that Queen Mary visited the poor kids. All the children were given a book with a picture of the Queen on it. Ivy had stood on the curb of the street, all the children had lined up, and the Queen had come up to her. She describes her as frightening. It was like she had a mask of makeup on. It was hard, like a clown face. Ivy may have considered herself poor as a child, but Arthur's parents had owned a shop, which was a step up in terms of class. The small family lived above the shop, and he would hang around downstairs. There were regulars who frequented the shop, which is the nearest shop to Brixton Empress, the variety theatre, so people like Nellie Wallace would come in.
0: Milk bars, I'd like to know just how they grow and why we see them everywhere. Milk bars, is it the dairies or the fairies who decide to put them there? The shop sold everything from sweets through groceries to many, many different types of beer.
1: It was large for a little shop. It opened at nine in the morning and closed at ten thirty at night. On a Sunday, the shop was only allowed to open for two hours at lunchtime, that being the law at the time. In nineteen thirties London, there wasn't any traffic on Ivy's road. She and her many friends would play out in the street. Some had scooters and bikes. They played cricket and two-ball, a game that the girls would make up chance to. Some were better at it than others. <laughs> skipping
0: um, for girls, not skipping. for boys.
1: <laughs> It's to skip across the
0: road, literally. A mother would get a washing line or something like that and pull it right across
1: the road and two women would hold the ropes and the children would skip. Arthur has similar memories of playing in the road. Well, mm. that's
0: the difference. I can actually remember sitting in the middle of Wandsworth Road with marbles with my friends, bowling them along the tram lines. If you sat in Wandsworth Road now, you'd be dead in about three (laughs) seconds.
1: There was one game called Garter, where the kids would have a bat over a drain hole, and one called Cannon, where they would make a wicket out of four sticks. At that time, London, for the kids, was just the street outside their house. Very uncomplicated. I mean, we didn't have much, but we didn't know we didn't have much. (laughs) the families would go out, Ivy's parents would take her to Richmond on a train from Clapham Junction. One of Arthur's uncles had a car. They named it the Flying Flea.
0: It was an open car like you see on television now. I'm talking, now We're talking about 1936 or so. Um, all us kids used to get in the back of it with one of the parents in the front and we'd go off to some park or uh, you know places like, i can remember abbey woods used to go to the woods where there was
1: the car was a convertible and up to six kids could fit in the back some sitting along the canopy top that folded down most of arthur's family lived around brixton and this particular uncle who was actually one of arthur's eldest cousins lived only four doors away <laughs> unlike ivy arthur remembers going to school he changed schools many times in his childhood at first he was taken to a kindergarten, which was a short walk from the shop. In the afternoon they would put out camp beds and the children would lie down for a nap.
0: I got on this camp bed and on the bottom of it was a blanket, folded neatly. So if you're in bed with a blanket, what do you do? I put it over me and up came this teacher, Miss Green, and she came up and told me off because all the rest was folded and I was lying there. But it was my first day at school, I didn't know. So she went away, and it's still a blanket. So I picked it up and put it over me again. And she come up and slapped my legs, you see. So that set me off. I went mad there. Eventually, they got my sister out of her class to walk me round the pavement.
1: He only spent one day at that school. The next September, he was taken to a boys' school in Gaskell Street, which he loved. Both schools were sadly destroyed in the blitz. Ivy was in the girls' brigade, which was at the time called the Life Girls, and on May 23rd, Empire Day, she remembers standing in the playground with ribbons in her hair, singing, I vow to thee, my country. Both schools made an event of the day, singing songs, holding assemblies, and saying prayers. Ivy's family was more religious than Arthur's, and both she and her brother went to chapel on Sundays. Arthur's parents sent him and his sister to church on Sundays to get rid of them for a few hours. They weren't very religious. It amazes me how similar my grandparents lives were at the time and yet they still didn't meet until they were 17. First they had to endure one of the most devastating events of the 20th century. For both children more vivid memories start to emerge in 1939 at the beginning of the Second World War. These are the years we will cover in episode 2, a man named Neville Chamberlain. <laughs>